0: You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Our epistle lesson is from Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 11 through 23. Hear now God's words for you. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance... "...having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit." This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. For the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. I have three stories today. The first two are true. The second one, yeah, not so much. And maybe it's not a story as much as it is a joke. But I think they each tell us something about this quest to live out lives as disciples. At least I think they do. And you get to decide if you think they do. The first story. On Monday of last week, before anybody else had arrived at the church office, I'm guessing it was 7, 15-ish, the outside door buzzer rings. So I get up and I go to see who it is and there's a man standing on the other side of the glass and he's tall and he's rather thin, but he's well-dressed. And so I open the door and said, can I help you? And he says, I once had a connection to this church. Can I come in and look around? I said, sure, come on in. So we walked down the hall of the office and out into the narthex and down into the sanctuary, and I went ahead and went down front and turned on the lights because it was still so dark you really couldn't see. I won't tell you his name. It's only important to him and to me. what I quickly discovered that he really wasn't so much interested in looking at the physical building as he was looking for somebody to talk to. And I guess God selected me. He talked of the past, places he had been, people he had known. And then he mentioned a name. And I said, oh, I know him. We were in seminary together. And he pauses and he stops and he looks at me and he says, well, me we must have crossed paths somewhere because I was there too when I told him I graduated in 77. And then it started. There was this outpouring as he told me of his life from seminary until the present. And suddenly I asked him his name again, because I don't always get names the first time. And he told me, and, and I did recognize the name. It's not like we've been best friends or anything, but it was a name that I recognized. We weren't, I don't think, in the same class. At least later when I went back to look him up, his graduation was in a different class than mine. And then he started telling me stuff that he thought I knew from those days. And I'd never heard any of it. Troubles and heartaches, betrayal, loss, the ins and outs of trying to learn to do ministry, and how in many ways seminary of that day was a process called survival. And that's probably why I don't remember him. Because I was just trying to survive. And then he says, you know, I guess I'm still trying to work through my emotions and feelings from those days. And it was clear that some of the things he told me were as fresh as if they had happened two weeks ago. Now, that was 40 years ago. And it was very clear that his life had been far more difficult than mine has ever been. And yet, as he talked, he was confident that somehow God had been and still was in his life in the midst of his story and he was trying to wrap up, I think, those old emotions from decades ago and to try to figure out how do I apply this to what remains of my life. I told this story to Shane and he said, I bet you if I'd asked you a thousand different things, you'd never have guessed that one for a Monday morning. (laughs) And he's right. I wouldn't have guessed it for a hundred Monday mornings. All right, story number two. When we first moved to Banner Elk many years ago, it didn't take very long before people both within the church and outside the church needed to tell us that the local Italian restaurant was run by the mob. We thought it was a joke. Perhaps that sort of off-color joke you occasionally hear about certain racial ethnic groups Or maybe it was just them trying to get at the new folks. You know, things like that happen. But it turns out it was absolutely true. We went there in 1986, the end. In 1983, seven years after we arrived, Anthony, no last name again, was described by the news reporter as an excellent Italian cook and a friendly local businessman. Was arrested, taken back to New Jersey, tried and convicted for being the leader, if you want to call him the Don, of the Lucchese crime family. And was sentenced to 20 years. Uh, There's a whole lot more to that story, but I won't tell it. (laughs) We had already eaten in the restaurant and shaken hands with a man before we knew any of this. And people used to joke at that time that when you drove around Banner Elk and you saw uh, youngish men and women in sunglasses, about half the time they were probably FBI. It turns out they probably were. The church was in the middle of a capital funds campaign at that time, and several people, I hope they weren't serious, suggested that maybe a good w- word to his wife might buy the church some goodwill in the, terms, in the form of a donation. But I just didn't have the stomach for that part. <laughs> okay, so I tell that story not because it's a good story, but because it is, but... To set up what comes next. Story number three. Two brothers lived in a particular small town. They did not go to church. They had nothing to do with church. They were clearly involved in, quote, organized crime. They lived by corruption and deceit. Everybody in town knew it, but apparently nobody knew enough to convict them. The older of the brothers died natural causes. Surprise, surprise. And the younger brother decided that he wanted to do up the funeral for his older brother, Wright. And while there wasn't a lot, great deal of grief in town, the question was, is there anybody in town that will do this service? So he finally goes, as he's planning the funeral... And he finds who a minister who he thinks might be willing to do the service. And he says, look, I know we never attended church. We never graced the steps of any church. We We're weren't interested in that. But I know you're in the middle of a building fund. And if you will do my brother's funeral and stand up and say my brother was a saint... I'll give you $50,000. It'll go a long way to fixing the church. Yeah, so after thinking about it, the minister said, okay, but you got to give me the $50,000 first. So the day of the funeral, the church is crowded, and it's mostly crowded because everybody came because they wanted to see what the minister was going to say about this guy. The other folks there were, you know, his fellow ne'er-do-wells. The service begins, and there's the usual scripture, and there's hymns, and there's prayers, and then the homily, the sermon, begins. The minister begins slowly, but then step by step, he launches into the horrible things this rich man has been engaged in. How he had been selfish, and greedy, and corrupt, and cared about nobody but himself, carousing, drinking excessively, and so on, and on, and on. And after about 10 minutes of that, the younger brother sitting in the front is so incensed. Well, what's he going to do? He can't interrupt his brother's funeral, can he? As the sermon finally begins to wind down, the minister's closing lines is this. Yes, my friends, this man was a no-good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. But compared to his brother, He was a saint. (laughs) Today is the Sunday closest to All Saints Day. The day we've chosen to celebrate All Saints and remember those that we have lost in death for a while, but know that we will see again at that exclamation point of human history. All Saints Day rarely falls on a Sunday, every seven years or so. And so normally we celebrate it on the Sunday after, first Sunday in November, and that allows us to do it after Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. It also allows us to do it on the first of the month when we can celebrate communion. But you also know we're engaged in a small group study, and it wanted us to do it today. So here we are. So if you're in a small group, Be prepared, you're going to talk about this. As I've said many times, All Saints Sunday still feels a little strange to us older people. See, I can say that now. Who grew up in the church of 60 plus years ago. Following the Reformation, we Presbyterians distanced ourselves from this talk about saints and as belonging too much to the former tradition coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. But a closer reading of the New Testament reminds us that the word saints is used more than 84 times in the New Testament. You heard it today, but I bet you didn't pay attention. I bet it just slid right over the top of your head as I read it. Now, the word the New Testament uses and calls saints is very much used in the same context that we would use the word believers. In fact, you can almost use them synonymously. And yet we still keep this notion that somehow saints are special Christians. We all know that Mother Teresa has recently been confirmed as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. And truly, she was a remarkable person. But that is not the way the New Testament talks about saints. The word saint comes from the word sanctus, which means holy. That's the word we use if you're upstairs for communion as the choir sings a part of the great prayer at communion. But we use it at other times, too. The word saint carries special meaning in the New Testament. In the epistle lesson for today, sanctus, or saint, is applied without distinction to the company of those who believe in Jesus Christ and who strive to live faithfully. Listen to a few verses. This is from the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Or listen to the address to the Roman church. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle to God's beloved in Rome, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace, or to the church in Corinth. Paul called to me an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to our brother Sosthenes to the church that is in Corinth, to in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. It's a common phrase in the New Testament. Saints are all around us. People who are holy, set apart, intended to be different. That is the definition of holy, after all. And they're set apart from the rest of the world because why? Because they are people who are at least attempting to live and follow Jesus Christ. And that's the definition both of Christian discipleship, but also the life of those who would be saints. Now, I wish I could tell you that all the people who can bear the name saints were kindly, loving, inspiring people. But I can't, and you know it. In large measure, our struggle with this idea of Believers as saints is simply none of us think of ourselves as being good enough. You know what? You're exactly right. None of us are good enough. But none of us are called to be saints by our own merit. It hasn't got to do with us. It has to do with Jesus Christ. If we have one iota of what the Bible calls holy, it's because it is derived. It is derived from our connection with Jesus. It literally belongs to Jesus and it's placed within us. We can be called holy not because of our faith or our actions, but because Christ lives within our very broken lives. The other piece to this is, is, I don't get to determine who gets to be called a saint. You don't get to determine who gets to be called a saint. Only Jesus Christ gets to determine that. In the Bible our fi- in, in the Bible, in our faith, saints are absolutely normal people with all the flaws. With all the sin, with all the warts, with all the issues that everybody else has. Except we're trying to follow Jesus. We are not different because we are morally perfect the truth is oftentimes we're not morally any better than anybody else i wish we were i wish i was i'm not the only thing that makes us different the only thing is that we live within this idea that we have been gifted with faith and grace has been poured out upon us And Jesus says, you're holy. It's what the song you just sang was about. Forgiven? Of course it is. The the Bible would declare to call us saints. I confess that even though I know better, I'm really uncomfortable with that idea. That somehow you and I get to be called saint. Even a saint in the making. My life doesn't contain as much of the traits as I would like it to. And yet I remind me and I remind you again, that's not what it's about. It's not about what's in us. It's about what Christ has put within us. A saint is someone who has been chosen, set apart by God... The encounter last Monday was with a man who has spent 40 years struggling to find who he is, but he's done it in the context of living a Christian life. The Bible calls that a saint. Even the story of the mobster in Banner Elk, I don't get to tell you whether he is or isn't because I don't know. I, for one, am grateful for whatever faith I have been given in this moment. Knowing that I didn't make it up, it's not sustained by me, it doesn't grow by me, nor does yours. It is always gift. It's a call to be more than we ever possibly could be on our own because of the grace, love, and presence of God in Jesus Christ in us. Another short story. Some of you probably heard this one before. Happens to be one of my favorites. So, young man was taken with his parents on a European vacation. And if you take your kids to Europe and they're younger, I hope one of the things you do is you run them through every cathedral you can find. It's good for them. It's good to know that the faith has grounding. And the grounding is often in great, big, beautiful buildings. So, this kid, with his parents, has been run through every cathedral they can find. Gets back home, he's back in Sunday school... And the teacher says, okay, what is a saint? And then she calls his name. And the boy, thinking back to all the stained glass, he's seen in all the cathedrals. says, well, I think that saints are people who let the light of God shine through. Not a bad definition for saint. People who let the light of God shine through. Even in our dimness, the light is still there. When we have a death in our church family, and I'm sorry to say that I've worked with many of you as families as we've done that, One of the things I always say to families is that a funeral service, a memorial service, is like a little Easter. And people think that's a little bit strange at first. But it's like a little Easter because when we are burying a Christian, we are reminded that death never wins, not ultimately. That's why we call the service a witness to the resurrection. Our All Saints remembrance is a part of that witness to resurrection. And resurrection hope belongs to the saints. I invite you today to remember. Remember those holy people who have touched your lives. Some of them maybe you know out of the history books, but I suspect that mostly you know those people because they have impacted your life directly. If I began to name those people, they would just be names to you. And so would yours, because each of us has those folks who have impacted our lives. Those are God's saints. Those are the ones who, in life and perhaps in their dying, taught us more, led us further than we would ever have come on our own. And I thank God for allowing me to know those people. Now, again, to be perfectly honest... I know they weren't perfect. They all had their own issues too. And yet, they were the ones for whom the light of Christ shone through when I needed it. And that's one of the definitions of a saint. Thank you, God, not only for resurrection hope, but for the saint's who have shown us the way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.